This is the Messy Progress Podcast, and I'm your host, Adrienne Smith. In this week's episode, and I should say this episode because I have not been producing these weekly like I had originally planned, life has gotten a little busy, I've been working a lot more, and I wanted to make sure that I was producing podcasts that I wanted to share. So it's been a minute, and I have this episode that I recorded with New York Times bestselling author Eve Rudsky. She wrote a book called Fair Play, and she's currently completing the publication of a book called Unicorn Space. Our conversation was recorded a couple months ago, actually, and it's taken me a while to put this together to share it. And I'm not really sure why, but the number one thing that I can think is that I felt super guilty that I haven't been putting into practice the work that she had from her book, Fair Play, in my life. I'm married, I have a child, and life's really like a circus, Um, running a small business, being a mother. Um, Fortunately, my daughter gets to go to preschool, and she has been able to go to preschool this whole time that the pandemic's been happening. And yet there's pieces and parts of my life that I want to be better. And um, when it comes to the management of my whole entire household, there was a part of me that felt like I needed to implement all the things that I learned from her book before I shared this podcast with you. And I know that that's not true. Anyway, our conversation is about her book, but it's really not about her book. Um, She shares so passionately about why she decided to start writing And it's going to take you by surprise because it did for me. And really just the empowerment of everybody on our planet and especially women. Women are game changers. I'm so proud to be raising a daughter. Scary, actually. And uh, I have this little quote on my, um, my nightstand and it says, Daughter, you will fly higher because you have more courage and better designed wings. And really, truly, I just want this podcast, this episode especially, to inspire not only women everywhere, but men, men that are raising women, um, men that are working with women. So that's every one of us is working with another woman in some form or fashion in our life. And I also wanted to make it clear that it's not just, this isn't just a, you know, you rah-rah women. Um, But is just as we can raise women up and we can be a stand for making things equal. Um, and what else do I want to say is just that there's, there's places to look that we haven't been looking yet and we're on to something this last year, especially. And um, for myself, I can see it in who I've become over the last year, taking some time to do some inner work and, taking some courageous steps that I would not have taken otherwise to force my hand in making decisions. And then also having really strong, powerful women alongside of me who believe in me and um, what I'm about, what I'm creating is really something that I think we need to instill in everybody. So I hope you love this episode as much as I did conducting it with Eve. She's incredible, fiery, intelligent, passionate, there's no more introduction needed. Let's just jump right in. E. Brodsky. Yeah. What do you you say something in your book? You say um, you have the conversations when emotions are low and cognition is high. 
Yes. So talk about that. So the, um, the, I think, you know, in the fair play journey for me, the, uh, most important thing was recognizing how people communicated about domestic life. So it was such an interesting process for me to understand that the home is so dangerous, Adrian, because it presents so small. So what I mean by that is I start off my book, you know, with my husband, Seth, and I talk about how I almost left him over a text he sent me that said, I'm surprised you didn't get blueberries. Um, I had a man in White Plains, New York, tell me that he was divorcing over a glue stick. Um, you know, people are really upset about sponges in the sink and who's setting the table when we're hangry and we're cranky. We have people who are, you know, we're deciding who who's taking out the dog, right? When it's about to take a piss on the rug. So the decision fatigue, the burnout of all the, the home, the caregiving and housework decisions present so small. But when you realize that it's really about larger societal issues and really three important reimaginings. And so those are really around women's boundaries, how we systematize things, our systems in our lives, and then our communication. And so the thing you were talking about, you know, communicating when emotion is, is low and cognition is high is not how we communicate in, in our homes. And, and I know that because I've done now 10 years of research. And typically when I ask people how they communicate, I always thought I was going to hear, well, we communicate poorly or we communicate by yelling, but actually Adrian, most people said to me that they don't communicate at all. Mm. And so I think that's really interesting because if you're not even willing to admit you're communicating about domestic life, right, then how can you make uh, a shift? And so for me, it was looking at people who would say to me, I don't communicate about domestic life. It's too triggering. One CEO said this to me, this amazing woman. Uh, and so I wrote down in my notebook, my research doesn't communicate about domestic life. And then um, 20 minutes later, she says, well, every time my partner forgets to put the laundry in the dryer, I dump it on their pillow. And um, so then I crossed out, doesn't communicate about domestic life. And I, um, I wrote in big caps, communicates about domestic life. And so I think there was a woman in the pandemic who posted in a 27,000 member Facebook group out of the UK called the reasons I hate my husband and, and kids during COVID. She posted this, this really intense post that said, if my husband dies during COVID, it won't be because of the disease. It'll be because of me. So I reached out to her and DM'd her and said, I'd love to know how you communicate about domestic life. I saw your post and she wrote me back. I don't communicate about domestic life. This is my safe space. So I think I just want to reflect um, and tell your listeners to reflect on the fact that um, publicly threatening to murder your partner on <laughs> a 27,000 member Facebook group often feels more safe to people than actually asking for what they need directly yeah. of the people in their lives. And why is that? What is it about that that clearly communicating because that person, that woman, or, you know, the partners are probably showing up to each other, like total assholes. So that's like communication, right? Well, again, like dumping your wet clothes on someone's pillow, like that's the worst act of aggression. I think you could do 
in a household because like who wants a wet pillow? It's the worst feeling ever to have like a wet pillow, you know? Well, and then it just escalates, right? It's like one thing after the next. And then you're playing this game like you're toddlers. Like I'm going to get you. Na, 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 boo, boo. Na, na. That's what my daughter's doing. A hundred percent. How about, you know, everybody tags me now. Like, so it's amazing. Thank you out there for all of your tagging on everything you see, but I get tagged on so many Instagram posts about women saying, I'm going to leave these clues for what I want for mother's day. And the truth is why, why are you leaving clues that are um, completely vague are not going to get, why are you, why are we not asking for what we need directly? Um, And that was a question that was really important to me because it's why ultimately I chose to write to women that that my mother who, you know, she's a professor of social work and she, she found it problematic in the beginning that I was choosing to write to women because she kept thinking, well, the gender division of labor, especially in heterosis gender relationships really is a male problem. You know, it's a male identified problem. Women do two thirds or more of what it takes to run a home and family. So why aren't you writing to men? But what I found is that asking for what we need, being able to live in a society that we can ask for what we need, that communication actually is the first thing I'd said to you before, before you can even get into systems and communication, it all came down to what I write about in Fair Play about how we view, treat, and value women's time in our society. And so that, that when I said to you, we have to reimagine our boundaries, our systems, and our communication, Fair Play is mostly written about the systems part, that when you move to an ownership mindset and not a helper mindset, your life changes and that you start to learn and think about how we ask for what we need. But the reason why you ask why we don't do that Why do I think we are living in a world where, again, I'm tagged on so many posts where there's just toilet paper on the stairs and the subject line is, let me keep this here and see how long it takes for somebody to bring it up the stairs. Why do we do that, right? Well, we do that because we've been conditioned not to use our voices as women and we've been conditioned that our time is worthless. And when you don't have a boundary, when you can't set a boundary to uh, protect your own time, then you're going to believe that it's your job to take the toilet paper up the stairs at the end of the day. And then when you're so resentful, finally, because you're like, I don't want to do this anymore. We actually don't have the tools to change those patterns. And that's when like the going to the back to like the emotion is low or the emotion is high cognition is low to even ask for the request of, can you take the toilet paper up the stairs? Because we typically, if we're already mad, right, we sound like a total jerk when we make the request. Well, hundred percent. And I think that the, the question for me was why is it even our job to purchase the toilet paper to get it, even get it up the stairs. And so that required really trying to understand the system and how we live. And, and I'll, I'll tell you more about the system, but I think it's really important again, to pause and reflect on something that took me 10 years to unlearn. And so we're doing it now, you know, and 45 minutes for your listeners. So this is definitely a 101. Mm-hmm. But what 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 before you can even get to the systems and the communication where it does not become your responsibility to not only get the toilet paper up the stairs and to purchase the toilet paper and to put it on the roll and to conceive of the fact that your family needs to wipe their asses, is that we have to recognize that it's not all, all our responsibility. And I think what 
society has done to women, and it's again, it's why I chose to write to women, is that we've been conditioned in a society that um, is is built on the backs of the unpaid labor of women. We have literally built, and so that's why it was so funny to me in the beginning of the pandemic, where I'd see all these articles, and I was actually in one of the articles that I hated the te- the, the headline, which said inevitably women will shoulder more childcare and housework than men during the pandemic. And what I was trying to scream out, because I was like, I'm in this article and I hate the title, is that it's not inevitable. It's actually fucking evitable. It's predictable, but it's evitable. We've actually built our society um, where we have chosen to value and guard men's time as if it's finite, like diamonds, and treat and value and view women's time as if it's infinite and worthless like sand. And it sounds very esoteric, but it gets exactly to the emotion is high, cognition is low. Why can't we communicate? Well, it starts at the beginning of time, uh, the beginning of the industrial revolution where we started to think about uh, women's work as invisible in the home as a moral duty um, out of love, not looking at it as labor. And we don't look, look at women's time as labor, then we can't quantify it, we can't value it. And so then what happens is we start having crazy things where uh, women enter a male profession, Adrian, and the salaries automatically go down. We start saying terrible things to women like breastfeeding is free. Not if you value my time, right? That was like, it was like three hours per, per feed for me. We say things to women. Um, we say things to ourselves, Like I do, I'm the one who picks up the phone call from the school and my kid is sick because my job is more flexible. Um, or I make my husband or my partner makes more money than me. Um, we say things like in the time it takes me to tell him, her, they, what to do, I should do it myself. We say things like I'm a better multitasker. My partner is better at focusing on one task at a time. We say things like, yes, we're both colorectal surgeons, but my husband is better at focusing on one thing at a time and I can find the time. These are all examples of what I call toxic time messages where um, they have been, we've been conditioned to say these untrue statements to ourselves in a way that um, allows us to make, feel better. So society can make us feel better um, about wiping the asses and doing the dishes over and over and over again. And what ends up happening is that men get twice as much leisure time as women. They have, they're diagnosed uh, twice, twice less frequently than women for anxiety disorders. Um, they are promoted more. Uh, they are uh, in a vicious cycle where then, because they have less caregiving responsibilities, they then are not subject to the motherhood penalty, which pushes so many of us out of the workplace. And so I think what's really important is to ask yourself if you've ever said any of those things to yourself, that I do more work because my job's more flexible or because my partner makes more money than me, or because in the time it takes me to tell them what to do, I should do it myself, or I'm a better multitasker. All of those things are uh, oppressive statements that are designed to keep us from de- from valuing our own time as if it's diamonds. Yeah, I love that. It's the I like to say is like our word creates our world, and so if we're saying those things on repeat, even just like you know, take it out of the context of woman versus man or he they doesn't even matter. But if we're saying any statement and we're believing it, we're saying it out loud. We're believing it's true. I can get the job. I can't get the job. I have a hard time sleeping. 
I sleep really well. We just make that our reality, right? And so it's the more that we make those statements, well, that's what your reality is. So, you know, just this, I don't have time for, you know, in your book, you talk about unicorn space. I don't have time to dream. I don't have time for extracurriculars. Well, why is it that your husband seems to have all the time in the world for extracurriculars, what you mentioned about leisure time? Can you talk about that? Is like, why is it so, um, is it the language that we continue to use as women that makes dreaming so not existent? Well, I love what you just said, because I think I, I'm obsessed with words. I'm a lawyer um, and, and lawyers, we design the world through words, right? A constitution on a piece of paper, um, the laws that we've designed that tell people to stop at stop signs are the reason why we're not run over in the street. Um, so I'm, I'm hundred percent with you. I think words are everything. Um, even in the Bible, um, I think, you know, Adam and Eve, I think it, um, the way it's, it's said that God created the world, um, and I'm not religious, but I remember this from, um, from my a religion class I took in college, right? That God created the world, I think is about, he created the words. And so I, words are very powerful and they're very important. And so, and part of behavioral redesign is how we talk to ourselves, and so that's why I get so obsessed with not who does what, because that is the system. And that's ultimately what fair play is about. It's about getting invisible work into the hands of men in society and also celebrating other family structures that are not so heteronormative. Because um, as I tell my sons, adulting is not gendered. Do, completing a load of laundry from start to finish is not a gendered thing. Um, it is it is part of executive function. It makes you human to be able to complete a task from start to finish. But I think again, what happens why women we lose our right to dream is because we the the a question that I asked that always made me sad in the fair play journey, Adrian was, do you believe you have a permission to be unavailable? Do you believe you have the permission to be unavailable from your roles as a partner, a parent, and a professional or um, and by professional, I mean any unpaid or paid work. Um, and the answer was a resounding no. It was a resounding no. And to hear it over and over again from professional women, from people who are stay-at-home mothers, it didn't matter what the family structure was. It was this idea that uninterrupted attention for things that I love that are not paid is very subversive still for women. It is Absolutely. very subversive. It would, For me to say to Seth, I am going to invest in writing a book on Sundays. And so you have our kids on Sundays um, the whole day. And it may not be paid. It may never get into the world, um, but it's something that I need to do for myself. It is something that I need to bring into birth into this world. It has nothing to do with pay. It has nothing to do with our kids. It has nothing to do with you or any of my roles. I'm going to take 17 Sundays to start writing this book. Um, that people were shocked, shocked in our 21st century that my husband, who is 50% the genetic material for my children, was willing, quote unquote, to take my children for a full day. To babysit them. To babysit, yeah, let's put that in quotes, to babysit them. Um, why? 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 Why is that subversive? Um, why, that may be triggering to some of you here, here that today. Why is it subversive? Um, and I think, again, it's back to that idea that we devalue women's time combined with the intensive Pinterest parenting that we've been subjected to, 
plus the fact that somehow there's been this myth sold that happiness means we have to do everything together. And so I don't know where all those things came from particularly, um, but that trifecta is literally, it's a losing, losing formula for women because A, we can never keep up. B, we have no time for ourselves and C, it's just an extreme recipe for burnout. Absolutely. And so whether it's your yoga class that someone can come to and carve out that time, um, it is men are talking about this all the time. I I'm a spoiler alert. I'm on the productivity circuit and there are so many pale and male men I sit on panels with who say things to me like, well, you just need two uninterrupted, untouchable days a week. Women are interrupted every three minutes and 42 seconds um, in the pandemic. Yeah, and it's like the number one thing when, when I'm with my girlfriends and you have kids or any, it doesn't matter who the kids are around. I'm like that. I, I didn't complete that thought. What were we just what, talking about? What were we talking about? Um, sorry. Yeah, I can't. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yes. That was my water. I'm oh, sorry. Now it's Anna's water. Um, so now, yeah, now I can't even hydrate. Now I, I was going to hydrate. I told Adrian that I was my yoga instructor. I would hydrate, not hydrating. Anna just took off my water bottle with her. Oh, and she spit in it and she spit in it. And, and yes, she's now back on my lap and I can't complain. Oh, now, now the water's in my lap. Oh, great. Now I have oh, to get now, up and now, change my clothes. Right. Now, now I have a wet vagina. Um, oh shit. Now, she's about to eat some. Okay. I'll, I'll be right back. I mean, it's just the constant interruptions. It is, it is. And so for, for all these men who are talking about what they do with their untouchable days, um, it is just not a reality. It is not a reality that, that we have sanctioned for women. And so it's going to require a cultural movement to reclaim our time, as Maxine Waters said, um, and that cultural, that's congressional hearing, I'm reclaiming my time. And we all have to do it together. We have to do it as a society to say, and for me, that's where it gets back to communication. There are many times, Adrian, where I just left a garbage liner out and I would glare at it and say, is Seth gonna take out the garbage, right? But when I started to recognize that my day job as a family mediator I work for families that look like the HBO show Succession, and I can bring some grace and humor and generosity to these families that are making the most complex organizational and financial decisions. Once I realized that the learnings I, were te I was teaching these families can actually help my, my family structure and other family structures get to a more fair division of labor, it required a much deeper level of communication. And so that deeper level of communication is what fair play is about. It's a system for onboarding. It's a hundred card metaphor to say, eventually you'll get to a place where you are holding cards, redealing cards. So you understand and you make visible, as you said earlier, the, the language is there that's depersonalized for who does what in the home, but it, it's not that easy. And I wish it was, I wish I can say to you, the ownership mindset works. It does in the workplace alone, right? You don't walk into your boss's office and say, hey, what should I be doing today? I'll just wait here to tell me what to do, right? Even my Aunt Marion's Mahjong group has clearly defined expectations. You don't bring snack twice to the group and then you're out. But, but the home, we don't set these clearly defined expectations. Um, so you can't just jump into an ownership mindset of you do this, I do that. And we'll talk about what that means. The ownership mindset that we use at work, the directly responsible individual, we give people context. I'm sure if you have yoga instructors that you're training, you say, you know, you're going to design a class from start to finish, right? Yes, of course you can have input, but you know, we, we're used to doing things from start to finish everywhere else, except for in the home. And the reason I believe we get into these sort of dysfunctional patterns is because 
we have substitutes. So the sad part is we don't have to communicate, especially in hetero cisgender relationships, about who does what, because society has substituted women um, for that discussion. So women become the default or the she faults. Um, in, 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 even in same-sex couples, many same-sex couples, they had the sign shows, same-sex couples have a more fair division of labor, but even there, I have a big data set of LGBTQIA couples, and still there was another substitute that wasn't gender, it was money. So, so the person who made more was doing less in the home. So we are used to substituting money and gender for actual communication about who does what in terms of childcare and housework. So when I say to you, remove the gendered expectations, remove the money expectations and go and sit down at the table to have and tell each other your stories about what you value, it becomes a little bit harder for people to do because they say, I'm not used to doing it this way. So that's, that's why Fair Play had to be a full book. It can't just be a Cards Against Humanity card game that's also sits on a shelf. Even though we do have a card game, Fair Play has a card game you can order and buy. You don't want to start with the cards. You want to start with the book because it's the unlearning. It's recognizing that we've put all of these expectations in place based on these ridiculous assumptions that actually have nothing to do with caregiving. And so when I could say to Seth, look, yes, you make more money than me. You chose private equity. I chose philanthropy, but my job is actually more valuable for society. <laughs> Time is not money. We should decide who's caregiving and who's doing what in our home based on the, the household we want to we wanna build, the, the, the dreams we have, how we support each other and who we want to become. Those become a lot deeper conversations that you have to have. Back to the first thing you said, we have to have those conversations when emotion is as low and cognition is high. And typically it's so interesting because I'm thinking about this as like, these are the conversations that should, this conversation about what we value, what's important, what do we want to build, what's the foundation, you know, we, core values or whatever it is, it's getting vulnerable and putting it out on the table and it should actually happen before you get married. Yes, yes. Well, that's why these vows are so funny because I always would ask couples, can you tell me about the vow you made on your wedding day? And they'd be like, um, and I'm like, well, the good news, it doesn't matter. What matters <laughs> is your vow over garbage, right? Who's taking the bins out? Who's putting the liner back in? Um, and who is doing it with the frequency that you both agree on, right? So for me, it was recognizing that we don't have these conversations. I do think the pandemic has made it much easier for people to absorb fair play, to say, I want to have these conversations. We have thousands and thousands of couples that are in the fair play world that are really aiming for fairness. And also why I wanted to come on your podcast was because I thought the idea of it is very much in line with fair play. It is what I've heard from you speak to other guests is the notion of a practice, right? The messiness of a practice. So back to communication. What do I know as a mediator? I know that I ask a thousand people, what is their most important practice? I do it intentionally vague to get a, hopefully not get the answer. And I did, I, I, I got what I needed, which is uh, most people did say something more in line with what you do, Adrian, um, uh, a breath practice or a meditation practice or a yoga practice, but not one in that thousand person data set said that communication was their most important practice. And what I'm here to tell you as a mediator 
is that most of us look at communication as transactional. And so when I would ask couples, why do you talk to your partner? It was always, well, I had to get our kid onto Zoom or she had to uh, take the kids to the practice on time and I had to give her the address. It's all these transactional natures of communication. Whereas I challenge your listeners to invest in communication the way that they're investing in other practices in their life. And that means you come back to the table. It's messy. Um, you are not going to be able to do a handstand on the first time you ever try yoga. You may never be able to, but that doesn't mean it's, it's, it's worthless. The practice is the beauty. And so, so Seth and I always talk when about you were talking we about the, um, like going to him the first time that you said, I want 17 Sundays and like you did it the one time, but did you have to remind the, the family unit repeatedly? Like, no, this is what I'm doing on Sundays. I wasn't kidding. Uh, well, no, of course. And, and that's the thing. I didn't just demand it and say, I'm out of here because I think the, the striking, the fed up nature is how we ultimately do get to boundaries. And often I was seeing that my most, um, and this required privilege, but, but um, a lot of my most empowered friends were ones who were divorced because they had those 17 Sundays. They had every other weekend to look forward to that they had uninterrupted attention for things that they love. And the gender division of labor is much more fair. But in my situation, I really did want to stay married because not because I necessarily believe in the marriage institution. I'm not like some bizarre conservative conser cultural warrior. I'm here just to say that for me, um, I like my husband. I like Seth. I enjoyed time with him uh, when we weren't fighting over the, you know, who was putting the garbage liner back in. And so I knew that we had a foundation, a, a foundation of love. But what was stopping us was that he was devaluing my time. And so before I could even get to the 17 Sundays, which is um, now what we do, he takes many, and we often, sometimes we want to spend time together, but oftentimes we say it's not fun to be together with kids. And so, and our kids are nicer to us and they don't fight as much when there's just one parent, you know? So we, we, um, and again, of course, this is the privilege of having a partner, but if you have a partner, right, it should feel, nobody should be holding all the cards. And so now we are in a practice. Remember, this is 10, I had the blueberries break down in 2011, right? So this is 10 years later. We are in a practice of, yes, if you need a Saturday off, you need a Sunday off. It's just, it's, it's inherent now. Often I take most of Saturdays and he takes most of Sundays so we can get our practice in of the other things that we love. But that requires the practice number one. Practice number one, the foundational Maslow hierarchy practice before you can get to your self-care practice is, and this is the productivity practice, is to customize your defaults of who does what. But you do that fundamentally first by just starting to check in. And so for Seth and me, it was starting to use the mediation tools I was using with my clients, saying that Seth and I did not have a vocabulary to have these conversations. We were, I was so mad at him. I was so angry at him for making me the fulfiller of his smoothie needs. Um, so what we started with was just, we started where we were, which was just, let's just invest 10 minutes a day with tacos and tequila or some, um, as I told you earlier in the beginning of our recording that I'm a huge uh, consumer of trans fat. So often <laughs> it was with like a Duncan Hines frosting and just a spoon, but it was this idea that we would sit down with short-term reward substitution, which is a term I know from my mediation practice, which means you pair something hard with something fun. So, you know, it was often with, you know, like I said, tequila and cookie dough or frosting. And we would just say, let's just start checking in. 
And the, the practice of sitting down with your partner for 10 minutes a day was so hard. Cause it was new. It is so hard because we don't do that. And you just, it, and you, you know, at first I was like the annoying person. Cause I was like, I hate that I have to drag you to this. And why do you not, you know, do we not have 10 minutes of things to say to each other? But over time it became that we didn't have to drag each other to it. It just became like, when are we checking in? Um, and oftentimes now, even to this day in the pandemic, we still check in. Uh, we, we, we were able to move to once a week um, when things were easy and the pandemic came back. We're like, we're back to 10 minutes a day. And oftentimes Adrian, it was like, I hate your face. Like, why am I even looking at you? I don't, I'm here to check in. I just want to tell you, I hate your face. But other times and most likely it was things like, oh, thank you so much for re rem you know, remembering that I was going to, um, not fill out those school forms. And so thank you for the fact I forgot you're that you hold school forms this week. Um, and, and thank you. You're, you are, you know, zoom parent from nine to 12. I'm zoom parent from 12 to three, right. It became, uh, so important to ritualize that communication practice. And then you got access to time, like your own time to do what with it, whatever you wanted to do. Like when you have those separations, you're on 12 to nine to 12, I'm on 12 to three and 100%, then you're freed up. hundred percent, but to get there, it required the investment in us being able to say so that I could sit down and say to Seth, when I was going through this terrible time of the unlearning of, I can't, having it all does not mean doing it all. And I'm not going to do this anymore because I'm losing my identity because I'm losing my time. It was be able to say to Seth from a very vulnerable place. Seth, when you have four hours after our kids go to bed to check PowerPoint and to work out and to, um, you know, sit there and, you know, channel surf where I'm up, my ass is up and I'm in service of our household until midnight, till my head hits the pillow, it's fundamentally unfair. And I'm losing myself in this marriage um, because of that time discrepancy. And I, I deserve my time as diamonds too no matter how much I make or how much you make. And um, I deserve as much time choice over how I use my day as you have. And so if that means you have less time choice because you don't get the four hours after our kids go to bed, but you're dealing with the school form. So you have three hours and I get three hours or it's two and two. It, it's gonna mean that we have to look at our fairness unit, our time collectively, and then be able to say, um, we both deserve time choice. So how do we get there together? And that was a very vulnerable and hard conversation to, to have because I had to have a boundary where I was willing to say, my time is diamonds and I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm not going to be the default caregiver and household manager um, and gift buyer and logging onto form uh, doer and school form portal password holder and um, emotional manager of our, my in-laws and, and on and on and on um, until I, I couldn't do it anymore. Yeah, what I, what I hear you saying in that is like you took a stand for you, your life, everything that you probably have been thinking a lot about and doing this, like a lot of inner child work. And it's like yes. when we were yeah. four, five, six, seven, and you even like whatever, girl, boy, doesn't matter. Like you may have had a dream of like, being with a being married, like, you know, little Barbie and Ken doll or whatever. And then it's like, oh, this isn't that at all, this relationship no. I'm in. Yes, and no. it's like having that moment where you 
you realize that you're, you're not fulfilling on like your child, like your inner child's full dream of your entire life. And it's like, very can you, painful. it's very, do painful. you want to do that for the rest of your life? And then some people might put their, their vision on like, oh, I'm going to make it till the kids are 18. Right. And it's like, no, but like right now, what's possible if you, what you just did of taking a stand for yourself, taking a stand for your marriage, both of you just like for him, for yourself, love and what you both value. And I got ch chills when you shared that. Cause it's like, it's such hard work on anymore. It's, it's such hard work. It is such hard work because again, we are conditioned in a society that doesn't value our time. And so even when Seth and I started to really work on ourselves and he was the one responsible for the medical and healthy living card and the fair play deck. And so that meant he was responsible for making pediatricians appointments and showing up. And um, even the daily disruptions of our, one of our kids were, was sick, still schools call me. Schools call me. Um, they, they, they don't call Seth. Um, you know, people Do you around have them. to like get your number. Just, is it like one of those, like one of the steps is you don't actually give them your number. I, first? Yes. So I called 50 schools for my fair play <laughs> research and I, and, but this is how I got to the core finding that men's time is, is diamonds, um, Adrian, because I called 50 schools in my fair play as part of my fair play research. And I said, please explain to me why you call women. Why? And then, you know, some very few were like, well, they're the first on the call list. I'm like, that's bullshit. I'm like, why do you call women? And then when I got to it, it was, well, men don't pick up. Uh, we don't want to bother them. So it was this guarding men's time as if it was, and these are women, right? A lot of the administrators I was talking to were women, but we've been you're so like, I want to just grab you and shake you. <laughs> even kids though, even kids say, you know, daddy's on a meeting or in a call, but they'll burst into our meetings and calls, right? So getting my kids to start valuing my own time, um, that that was hard too. And it, and and because we 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 are not trained to have these types of boundaries. We are trained to, um, as the woman, the women who wrote a book that I love called Burnout Burnout, they they call human giver syndrome. We are we are conditioned to to um, have it to not be available right we don't have that permission to be available and again I remember being in salon after salon I would you know I'd go in and on a weekend maybe on one of my Sundays off and I was taking a break from writing and I would get a manicure and and uh, you know so many women in conversation would say to me you know who's babysitting your kids who's watching your kids and so I say well do, are you assuming I'm a single mother or are you assuming that my husband, time is too valuable for me, for him to do it. And they'd always like, just shut up. And then be like, I don't want to be talking to that woman. Like she's, she's a little too intense for me. But I'd say, are you asking me that question? Cause you assume I'm a single parent or because you assume my husband's time is too valuable to do it. And, um, it stopped people in their tracks because it gets that baseline assumption that, um, it is, it is really, really subversive to expect that men would be doing the unpaid labor of care and housework for our kids still in the 21st century. Yeah, it's wild. You talk in your book about how like unicorn space is not getting your hair done or yes, going to a yoga class. That. I want to talk about that. Yes. Let's talk about unicorn space because it's my second book and it's so much more fun to talk about. Oh, than... good. I'm so glad you're writing a second book. Yes. Yes. Okay, I good. just turned my manuscript in and I am really excited to, um, to, to really look at, I was really examining the hair, a new, a new heroine's journey for us all 
um, what it looks like to be unavailable and how to, and, and the question I asked in Fair Play, which I ask again in Unicorn Space is what makes you uniquely you and how do you share it with the world? And what, what I found was um, that's also the answer for what our partners take pride in us of. So it actually wasn't the, she's an amazing actuary at the accountants. It was like, she's the best handstand person I've ever seen. Um, I have a friend who's an actuary, this is a true story. And she has a blog that's called Yoga and Donuts. And she has, and that's what her partner's so impressed with that she can find the best donut and she shares it with the world with along with her, her handstand practice. And so the, what makes us us can be so different. Um, I have a woman um, who I love, a good friend who she crochets Harry Potter dolls. Um, there's women like you who are teachers. Um, I am a gender division of labor specialist. That's my unicorn space. But what's so interesting about this active pursuit of what makes us us, Adrian, is that um, because again, we're also been conditioned to look a certain way and to act a certain way, often it's conflated with commodified wellness. So sometimes what I would say, what would you do with an uninterrupted hour? What would you, what, what makes you you? Sometimes it was like, well, um, a fresh haircut or a manicure um, or even like a walk on the beach, which is great. But what, what unicorn spaces is actually different. So we need adult friendships we need self-care. For me, it's it's maybe less um, healthy self-care where like, you know, eating a pie is my self-care, but baking a pie is a different part of the brain. It, the active pursuit, it is a co completion goal from start to finish. Um, so it's those goals I'm talking about. I'm talking about the active pursuits. Reading a book is awesome, but if you're reading a book to research for research to write your book, activating a different part of your of your, um, your brain and your motivation. And so unicorn space is really these active pursuits. And a lot of how you get there is by looking at the question of what do I wanna share with the world? And if you're not there yet, it's fine. Because again, we've been conditioned not to have the time for these to dream, but that's what my second book's about. It's a plan for how do you get to um, what I call the three C's, the most important three C's of creativity. And that is curiosity, connection and completion. And the completion part was really interesting because so many of us are stuck in the unfulfilled dream phase, or as my friend calls it, she calls it the graveyard of GoDaddy, where she sees all of her unfulfilled dreams as totally. URLs she bought. Um, and she's like, I don't want to live my GoDaddy's to live in my graveyard of unfulfilled dreams. Oh, I love so that. That completion step is really important. So I talk a lot about um, in the second book about how important it is to have uninterrupted sustained attention for things that we love. And that um, it really requires not only a permission to be unavailable, but a permission to burn guilt and shame for taking it. And, and then of course, being able to ask for what you need. Yeah. And it's so different. Like what you were saying is it's different for everybody. It could be um, what you do for Anything. a living as your unicorn space. It could be. Right? Yes, 100%. So talk about that is like, you mentioned that in your book about how there's like a checklist for what it is and what it isn't. And so your your job can be unicorn space if it fulfills a couple different parameters. Exactly. The, the question you would ask yourself, is your job your unicorn space? Is, would you be doing it for pay? Would you be doing it if you weren't paid for it? That's like really the, the anchoring question. 
and then does it bring you joy, excitement, fulfillment, um, flow, you know, the flow state, do you feel like time is, is interrupted? Are you, um, is time freeze and move forward at an extremely exciting pace in what you're doing? It doesn't mean there's not rigor around it. It doesn't mean that if you're teaching yoga, your certification doesn't, it doesn't suck, but it means that there are flow experiences related to your, to your work. Most people, their, their job is not their unicorn space. And so it's about finding a pursuit that is a, ultimately a flow state active pursuit, but that really is not only just bringing you joy, but is that is, is bringing you your, your identity back because part of it is, you know, we do lose our identity in milestone fulfillment and roles. And that gets back to the inner child is that the inner child is broken often because our milestones that maybe our inner children were conditioned to believe would bring us happiness don't. And to wake up to that nightmare that these things that society told you were going to make you happy don't is really a very big jarring thing. And I think for me, it was like, oh, I, I have a, I love our apartment. I love, I, I have a kid. I have the, 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 a husband that I enjoy. And then looking and being like, I'm really not happy in my life. And understanding that external extrinsic motivation and milestones have been keeping me going since I was a kid. Um, getting out of a single parent household, a working class household, um, required a lot of rigor of saying external milestones, get A's, get into, I want to get into Michigan. I want to get into Harvard. Um, I want to get a, a perfect job um, that people look at and respect. I want to have a, a husband and 2.5 children, external, external, extrinsic, extrinsic, extrinsic milestone. And then once you get them and achieve them, realizing that it's not in, in fulfillment is a very complex uh, emotion um, and unlearn. And so getting to build the intrinsic motivation and milestones are very hard, but exciting when you get to do it. And that requires the thing we talked about again at the beginning of our conversation, it keeps coming full circle. Do you know yourself? Do you have that inner voice? Do you know your values? Do you know what, you, what makes you uniquely you? Yeah, like what makes you tick? What makes you, you, what makes you, you, when I ask so many women, they would either go silent or they would say things like shopping. I'm like, shopping does not make you, you, I promise. Um, and, and, or sometimes they would say children and I'd say that's a role. Um, but you, but, but do not make your unicorn space, the perfection of your children. You are your separate human being and you deserve that. You were somebody before kids. Yeah. Um, and that's what I, I've noticed for myself. I have one child. She's like, I shared with you, she's almost four and conversations with a lot of my girlfriends with young children is it's it's magically gone like what made us uniquely you us is just been fulfilled up with another thing and there's not that space for the dreaming for the uninterrupted time because we're taking care of another thing i had said this this i'll just personally share this is funny is before i had my daughter i was training i did a lot of triathlons i did um triathlons professionally for a couple of years. And I remember telling a friend, I said, well, next year I'm either going to do an Ironman or I'm going to have a kid. <laughs> and I ended up doing another Ironman and Maybe. then having a kid. But what I realized was like, I didn't actually want to keep doing the Ironmans. I was done. That wasn't my unicorn space anymore. 
but having a kid also wasn't it. And yeah. so yeah. now it's been a couple years and it's like, what, what is that thing that makes me uniquely me? And what is it? What is it for you? For me, I'm, I'm going to say it's your podcast for me, right? Because I was able to get, and I was saying, I was like, I'm unlearning things about nutrition that I want to unlearn. But <laughs> I think I will say for you, I'm going to, to tell you that I think sharing yourself with the world the way you do in your podcast, again, regardless of whether it's ever paid or not, I don't care when people say that, that's not about that. It's about how do you share yourself with the world? I will say like, don't give this up because you have a very unique, important voice. And I think you have an important message. Thank you. Yeah, I love conscious conversations and the fact that we get to do this and then it gets to be shared. That's where it started with me was, I'm like, I wanna just, I love talking to people and having elevated conversations surface level and just talking about like how we got someplace and what time things start and what, you know, <laughs> when did you get your vaccine and da, da, da. I was like, just enough. I don't, I don't care. And I love conscious conversations because I think, you know, we can end on, on that for your listeners that what an amazing takeaway for earth 2.0. If you start having conscious conversations, what I mean by that is that I had so many women where I would ask them about their mother friends. So I had this interesting uh, exercise where I would say, tell me that your two friends you met after, after um, you had a kid. And so they'd give me two names. And I'd say, tell me where they grew up and where they went to college, if they did. And they would look at me like blank eyed, like they had no context for these women outside of the fact that they were mothers. And I was like, you don't even know where this person grew up? You don't know if they went to college, like it's just, or whatever it is, basic questions. But so start asking questions, ask people to tell you their stories. Um, what I've been starting with is what makes you you and how do you share it with the world for women that I didn't have as deep of conversations with before and men too. And I do it, I've been to only to two dinner parties since the pandemic, since we've been vaccinated and everybody thinks I'm a little, probably a little off because I'm not <laughs> going to do it. I'm not going to have small talk about um, the weather or, uh, you know, what, what kids are doing these days or what camps they're going. I don't know. I want to talk about politics. I want to talk about how you're changing the world. I want to talk about what makes you uniquely you. And so, you know what, Adrian, if I get invited to less dinner parties because I'm trying to go deeper and have these conscious conversations, then that's good. Thanks for listening. I hope you have the most incredible and radical day and that you step forward into freedom and courage from this conversation in a way you would not have otherwise if you didn't listen to it. Thanks for listening.